Well, hello, everybody. Uh, it is good to be back with you. I've been away a little bit. A couple of weeks was uh, a planned vacation. We were um, overseas, actually, our first international trip in quite a while, and uh, got to see our daughter uh, graduate from university, so we're kind of end of an era, and did a whole bunch of stuff like that. And then we came home and promptly got sick. Uh, last weekend was COVID weekend times two for us and our family. In fact, I lined up all of our COVID tests in a row and took some pictures. I've got this whole little collection. I'm going to make Christmas ornaments out of them. Uh, that's what my plan is. But anyway, uh, thank you to uh, Brody who graciously stepped in last weekend with just a few hours notice and said, I can take this for you. And uh, that was a great gift to me, but also to you, to our whole congregation as he uh, got us started in this, this new series, which really is, as he explained earlier, a little bit of a preview as to kind of where we're headed and what we're all about. So thank you, Brody, for that and for uh, blessing us and gracing us with that uh, so well last weekend. Uh, before we get into this weekend's message, part two of this series, let me just mention also our congregational meeting that's just a couple of weeks away. We do two congregational meetings generally, uh, annually. Uh, the fall one, uh, right around 1st of December, is our AGM, and that's the one that usually has a, uh, a longer agenda. It's a little bit more robust. We have some requirements from the Societies Act that make us look back at audited financials and all of that kind of stuff. We do elder elections and all of that at our fall one, but the June one is pretty important as well, and that is one where we almost exclusively look ahead to the new ministry year, which begins in September. And at the core of that meeting is the presentation of our budget for the next year that our staff and our elders have been working over for quite some time. We'd like to present this to you. We'd like to ask our members for their approval on that. If you'd like to know more about uh, our budget and some of the plans for next year, everything's posted to our website right now. You can check out the documents that are there. If you have any issues with downloading or accessing or anything like that, uh, and you need some help, just call or email or stop by, whatever, and we'll help you out. We'll even print hard copies for you if that's necessary. The meeting is on the 19th. It's a Monday night. It'll happen out in the atrium. We'd love to have you there and have you participate. Only members can vote, but anybody's welcome to be there. And as we always do, we'll just open up the floor to any questions you have about anything as well. Now, um, I recognize that talking about the impact of the pandemic is getting a little bit old and, and tired, but indulge me as I go there once more. The prolonged season of social distancing, um, it kind of created a bit of a wave of research on the physical and mental health impacts of isolation and loneliness. And if you haven't been noticing this and paying attention to these articles in the news, the news is not great on this issue. According to the National Institute on Aging, that's a US-based uh, agency, the health risks of prolonged isolation, they have linked them to being basically the equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Social isolation and loneliness has even been estimated to reduce our lifespan by as many as 15 years. Pretty shocking. According to one report, there appears to be a link from the social isolation and loneliness to higher risks of a variety of physical and mental health conditions like high blood pressure, heart disease, obesity, a weakened immune system, anxiety, depression, and cognitive decline. Back in 2017, before COVID, U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy wrote an article in the Harvard Business Review, and he warned of a loneliness epidemic sweeping North America. 
And around that same time, the BBC News Division pronounced loneliness as a hidden killer of the elderly. Now, stats are sometimes uh, able to be manipulated. Research tends only to show correlation, and correlation is not always causation. However, an even bigger problem is that social isolation is often conflated with loneliness. They're not really the same thing. Isolation is a fact. Loneliness is a feeling. People who are socially isolated don't always feel lonely, and people who are not socially isolated may feel lonely even when surrounded by a whole room full of people. So yes, there's subjectivity in the data, but the data, the strongest data, indicates that as much as 61% of our population is feeling, they're reporting, negative impacts of loneliness. So think about that, 61%, look around the room right now. That means that more than half of you, if the data is accurate, have been having some struggles with loneliness. Loneliness is cognitive discomfort or uneasiness from being perceived to be alone, and the result is a certain amount of distress. It leads to feelings of sadness and emptiness and disconnectedness. Isolation, the desire for companionship, the feeling of being misunderstood and not heard. You get the idea, right? With billions of people in the world, you'd think somebody smart would figure out a system where nobody has to be lonely. And the good news is, somebody has. Perhaps these words are familiar to you. They come from the lips of Jesus Christ. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Dallas Willard used to say, God's aim in human history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included as its primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. With billions of people in the world, someone should have come up with a system or strategy where nobody has to be lonely, and somebody has. It's called the church. A lot of people, when they hear the word church, they think of a, a building you go to or a gathering you attend or you watch, but Jesus had something much more robust in mind, something that even transcends biological families, spiritual families, but a literal family nonetheless. I'm thinking about a time when, when Jesus is told that his mom and his brothers are looking for him, and I want to show you how he responds to them. Someone tells him, hey, your, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to speak to you, and he replies, who is my mother, and who are my brothers? And then pointing to his disciples, who are not his biological family members, he says, here are my mother and my brothers. This is a, a staggering declaration in a tribal culture. In the ancient world, it's very, very tribal, very familial. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. So what Jesus has in mind is an honest-to-goodness family, God's family, where anybody can belong and find community and connection. I will not ask for a show of hands, but if I was to say how many of you are a little bit disappointed with your biological family, I'm pretty sure probably 61% of us would raise our hands on that one too. So let's just let that be rhetorical. Listen, your biological family, according to Jesus, isn't even supposed to be your ultimate family. God has a kind of family in mind for 
everyone to experience. According to our scriptures, God aches for this and Jesus died for this. It's, it's what we are, or at least what we're supposed to be. So what we're doing in this short three-part series is describe our latest understandings about our purpose. The core leaders of this community over the last few months have been wrestling and, and, and praying and, and debating. So before we move into the glorious, short, but glorious Alberta summer, we thought this is just the perfect time for us to, to just think about and pray about and, and collectively process our sense of purpose, our raison d'etre, our reason for being. And it's summed up in the short three-word description that you see on the screen there, the, the title of the series, Belong and Become. Last fall, as we sensed that our world was returning to normal or returning to our new normal, uh, we felt like it was time to refresh our language. Most churches and organizations, they rally around, they, they orient their energies around statements of mission and vision and values. I happen to be one that believes that the mission of the local church is timeless. It really doesn't change. It's to make disciples, to love God, to love others, the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That should never, ever change. And so that's what we talk about when we sense uh, we, we have to articulate our our mission around here, but vision language gets updated from time to time. It needs to get refreshed, and we've come to that point again. And so last fall and through the winter and even into the spring, our core leaders have been kind of wrestling and praying this through a little bit. And what you see before you is what we landed on, a short three-word statement of purpose. We're not going to use mission and vision and values for the next era, but we're going to use purpose and priorities and practices. And part of the reason for this is I feel like sometimes we get a little bit wordy around here, and some of that is on me. I'm a storyteller. I'm a wordy guy sometimes. And so we've, we've sometimes just heaped more language on top of old language, and, and then it gets a little bit clunky. And so we really wanted to strive for simplicity in this next era. Three words that anybody can remember, anybody can memorize, and hopefully when we're done here, you can even describe what it means. So at our congregational meeting in a couple of weeks, we'll talk a little bit more about our priorities for the fall and into the next year. And we'll uh, double down on our emphasis on certain ancient, important spiritual practices. But what Brody and I are trying to do in these three weekends is biblically defend the three words that are in that statement of purpose, belong and become. We want you to be able to articulate and even explain and know why we exist. And so I hope that you'll take seriously your part in all of this as we head into the summer and the fall, as we together seek to fulfill our redemptive potential. So last weekend in part one, Brody described what was arguably our biggest aha moment of the last few months, and it's when we recognized the power of the word and, or the ampersand that you see behind me. Belonging matters. It really matters. It matters big time. It matters a lot. And becoming is the ultimate goal. But if all we do is create environments where we just simply invite people to belong, that makes us a social club that really doesn't make us a church. The church that Jesus has in mind is a place where people become. It's a community where participants become deeply rooted followers of Jesus, disciples, people engaged with God's kingdom purposes. But the and is what ties it all together. We long for people to belong and become, not one or the other. The purpose of belonging is that you might become. 
become more like Christ. You belong to become more like Christ. Everything we're about as a church hinges on the and. So what I'm going to do with this weekend is unpack the first word, the belong word. But just know, as I'm doing this, all three words, all three ideas matter. Belong and become. Now, it's really interesting if you, if you start studying stuff like this. In the New Testament especially, uh, the gospel writers and the apostles will use certain phrases over and over again. And one of them uh, is the phrase, one another. In fact, in, in one count, there's about 59 different times where one another's are used. The, the really, the story of the, the New Testament church is one of one anotherness. It's, it happens over and over again. The apostles and Jesus call us to be at peace with one another, to honor one another, to wash one another's feet, to submit to one another. They're deadly serious when they suggest that we speak the truth to one another and that we're devoted to one another. Jesus never says to anybody, go to church, but he says, follow me and be part of my family and then invite others to do the same and practice one anotherness. And every church needs to figure out how to do this and develop plans and, and strategies and ministries for this. It's what has led us to have a really high value for many years on hospitality and welcome. Our hospitality value is what's driving us right now to retool our website and our digital presence because we know, we know because you tell us, others tell us that anybody who checks out church today is gonna do that online first before they'll ever set foot here. And so watch for some of that coming. We're constantly talking about welcome and belonging. It's why we have it on our sign up there on the corner. It's why we have a ministry like Legato. It's why we place so much emphasis on frontline ministries like our ushers and our greeter teams and why we hold events like Pizza with a Pastor. We're longing to make those connections. It's why Brody said, hey, anybody wants to chat, we'll be down here afterwards. You belong. We want to make sure you feel that. And it's why we put so much emphasis on life groups, especially in the last couple of years. COVID, listen, it devastated lives and families and institutions, but if you'll permit me to say something give me some grace, positive about what happened over the last three years. The great pause that we all went through really forced a lot of us to examine what matters most, and it caused us to get a lot more serious about helping people find places in community in our church. We, we said, we got to do better at helping people find or start groups. The mantra really became over the last era, good things happen in rows, but the best things happen in circles. And so if this is your church, I hope you have some sort of intentional, smaller network that you're engaged in consistently. Maybe it's a serving team where you serve together. Maybe it is a formal life group, but you need some place where you're known and cared for and connected. That's where life transformation happens. Real transformation, real becoming takes place in community. It rarely takes place in isolation. But more about that next weekend. What I wanna do for the next few minutes is just walk through a handful of one another's. Just gonna plant these seeds in your mind and hopefully they'll be like a positive irritant and you'll think and pray this through. I wanna talk about five different one another texts and then ask you to think a little bit more deeply about how God may be calling you to one another on a deeper level with some of the brothers and sisters that are here and in your life. And the first one I want to show you is from the Apostle Paul when he's writing to his friends in the church in Galatia. This is from chapter 6 
of Galatians. This is his letter to his friends there. He says among his comments, listen, hey, everybody, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the law of Christ is the new commandment that I kind of rattled off from John 13 a few minutes ago. The new commandment is the commandment to love as Jesus loves. The law of Jesus is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And one of the ways that you fulfill the law of Jesus is to carry the burdens of your friends, your brothers and sisters, by assisting them in carrying their burdens. By the way, you know what this means? That means to be a really highly spiritual person does not mean you have to just, you know, kind of be on your knees in prayer all day. It actually just means being attentive to others. It's one of the most deeply spiritual things you can do is be attentive to your friends that are hurting and help carry their burdens. Now, at the risk of sounding like a uh, kind of an old get-off-my-lawn guy, uh, I just think that our culture has changed pretty dramatically in the way we look out for each other or the way we maybe don't look out for each other like we used to. I lived in the same house on the same street from 0 to 18. Didn't leave that neighborhood. Uh, I went to the same church, the same home church from, from 0 to 18. And in my neighborhood start there. Like We knew all the neighbors. We knew their names. We knew their kids' names. We knew their families. We knew their stories. We looked out for each other. We were in and out of each other's homes. We shared the burdens of child raising and child protection among neighbors. We helped each other shovel and garden and build. We did that in the church. We did that out of the church. In my home church, there were all kinds of connections. There were these families that were just absolute pillars that were part of our church family throughout my entire not just childhood, but throughout my entire adult life. Like there's families that I can rattle off right now, like the Bacchuses and the Kramers and the Fries and the Alks and the Delzers and the Frankies and the Baders. These are just pillars for me, people that were constantly in my life and, and mentoring me and encouraging me along as I was a kid. They helped carry our family burdens for decades. But the way society functions in 2023 is quite different, especially if you live in an, a suburban setting like Sherwood Park. And I realize that a number of you don't live in Sherwood Park, but those of you who do, and maybe this is the same in your neighborhood or wherever you happen to live, but in our culture today, we oftentimes just drive to our homes, we raise the garage door, we drive in, the door shuts behind us, we go inside of sealed homes with fences all around us, and we sometimes don't even know the people that we're living right around. We noticed this in 2007 when we moved here, just how isolated so many people can be in this community. And church interactions and engagement has changed too. We, we kind of bring a bit of a transient nature to the body of Christ. Religious people will sometimes view, oftentimes view church participation as a consumeristic venture. And so we just pick churches based on preferences. We pick based on kids programs or youth programs. We prefer pastors who say the words that we already wanna hear them say and just affirm the things we already believe. When leaders make decisions we don't like, or when the pastor maybe pushes a theological button that we're not sure about, we bail. We just, we go find a new place. So in one sense, the world hasn't changed at all. Like, we're still carrying all kinds of burdens. Most of us carry burdens like health and parenting burdens or addiction and failure and loss. Nothing's changed. What's changed is that we're carrying these things much more alone than we did in the past. We're not as attentive to each other. Carry each other's burdens. And by the way, just, 
just in case this sounds like a call to take on you know, responsibilities that aren't yours and, and maybe becoming overburdened, Paul makes an important distinction, uh, distinction in this text here, just a couple of verses later. Paul says, for each one should carry their own load. So this is fascinating to me because just a couple of verses earlier, he says, carry each other's burdens. And two verses later, he says, everybody should carry their own burden. Sounds like he's contradicting himself. He's not, though. Commentators will describe how Paul uses two different words in this section of Galatians. So the one that you see on screen for load in verse 5 carries the idea of a common burden that most people carry, like a purse or a day pack. That's a good way to think about this. Routine, everyday stuff. The idea is a carryable load. We all have stuff we carry, normal burdens. And so what, what he's saying in the, the part that you see on the screen is everybody should carry their own backpack. Like we all got certain things that we just have to carry ourselves. But the word for burden earlier in chapter uh, 6 verse 2 carries the idea of a much more substantial load, a heavier load. Think of it like a large rock, something too difficult for somebody to carry by themselves. There are things that we are asked to carry sometimes mostly, not of our own choosing, and that's when we need the community to carry that with us. We don't talk about this enough. We don't talk about how deeply spiritual it is to carry each other's burdens. This is at the core of what it means to be a church. We're meant to carry each other's burdens. Nobody is supposed to carry everything alone. And for a lot of us, most of the time, all this means is listening to each other and praying for each other. In a way that social scientists and, and theologians and therapists can explain better than me, something powerful happens when another human being witnesses our pain, sees our pain and notices, validates our experiences, and reminds us of our identity and helps us navigate different options for support. Pastor Rita uh, is down here. Pastor Rita uh, is our point leader for our care ministries, and she was teaching our staff a little bit on this topic this last week, and in her presentation, she quoted Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen spent a chunk of his, his life, his ministry life, living among a community of people where many of them had intellectual disabilities, and they all lived together in a group home setting. This is one of Nouwen's reflections on caregiving. He writes, to care is the most human of all human gestures. It's a gesture which comes from courageous confession of our common need for one another and the grace of a compassion that binds us together with brothers and sisters like ourselves who share with us the wonderful and painful journeys of life. Love that quote. Again, I, I, I can't even explain all the reasons why, but in a real way, in a real way, when others that you know know you, and know everything about you and know your burdens and care about those and carry some of that weight with you, the burdens become lighter. It's just a fact statement. We're made to carry each other's burdens. Nobody is supposed to carry their burdens alone. You can do this. You can carry other people's burdens. You don't need a lot of special training. You don't need a degree. You can just step in and do it. That's one. Here's another from the Apostle Paul, this time from his letter to the Roman church, the Romans. He says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So central to our calling is to carry each other's burdens 
And the next one is to love each other as Jesus loved us. So how does he love me? Well, Jesus loves me just as I am. Flaws and failures, check. (laughs) He loves me just as I am in order to bring praise to God. And God loves it when we do this for each other. When people are accepted and treated as though they belong, they will say, I thank God for a place like this. God has created us with a need for acceptance. It's something that exists deep in our souls, the need for acceptance and inclusion in a family where we can be known, cared for, and even prized. I used to um, avoid referring to the church as family, Uh, I I thought maybe it wasn't wise to do that because sometimes I think uh, churches will overemphasize nuclear families. Like we sometimes orient probably too much of our focus around couples and couples with kids. And so we kind of create this idea that the normal experience is, you know, a couple of parents, a couple of kids, a minivan, a dog, whatever. Like we kind of have that vibe to us a little bit. And if you don't fit that mold, you know, you're not or you're lesser than. So I I kind of avoided using too much family language, but I'm starting to shift a little bit in my thinking. I've begun using family imagery a little bit more liberally because I think family love, when we get it right, is a great way to describe what we're supposed to be about. What I mean by that is um, my love for my kids, nobody had to teach me. It, it It is completely innate. It is completely natural. I didn't have to take a course to learn how to love my wife. Family connection is just, it's almost innate. It's even almost irrational. A few weeks ago, I mentioned in another message how I would literally lay down my life for my family if if that was what it came to, and a lot of you would do the exact same thing. You, You would do, you would sacrifice tremendously for the people you love most. Well, part of what it means to be a part of a church is that it be a place of irrational commitment where we treat other people like they're our own family, brothers and sisters, kids, spouses. Committing to a social circle of people that you didn't really choose is a great way to demonstrate whether or not your spirituality is even real. You thought about that? Accepting one another is an opportunity to resist traditional loyalties to state and party and culture or affinity, and it's an act of loyalty which transcends natural categories. Accepting one another is a life lesson in how to deal with people you don't always agree with without retaliating or dehumanizing or running away. Our church has existed for 60 years this fall. And what I'm talking about right now is deep in the DNA of this place. Uh, We are known actually probably more for our diversity than our homogeneity. We are the embodiment of the early church where Jews and Greeks, men and women, young and old, wrestle with God together. It's a place where we struggle sometimes openly. When we're getting it right, we struggle openly, not always privately. It's a place where questions can be asked, and sometimes answers are given. And when no answers are found, it's still a place of connection and care and support. This is what it means to accept one another. Here's another one. This is another deeply spiritual practice, and this one comes from James, the brother of Jesus, when he writes, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This is another one we don't emphasize enough. The integration of confession 
or disclosure is another good word, and then prayer and healing, all of that fits very well together. And we see this often in the ministry of Jesus. He brings to light what a lot of people are trying to hide. So some of you know the story of Zacchaeus, right? Probably some of you know the little song that we used to sing. Zacchaeus is a swarmy little tax collector dude that Jesus seeks out, and he befriends him. He loves on him. He connects with him. He does the same thing with a Samaritan woman at the well. He knows all of her shameful history, yet he embraces her and cares for her. He does the same thing with a woman caught in adultery. In a condition, in a world that's conditioned to shame the indiscretions of women and just sort of wink at those of the men, Jesus loves her and pronounces forgiveness and healing over her. And with the Apostle Peter, this friend of Jesus who completely betrays him and absolutely devastates him with his rejection of of him, Jesus restores him and, and brings him back and forgives him. It's when Jesus names people's deep, dark secrets, their guilt and their shameful acts, it never really ends his relationship with him. In fact, it actually enhances it. Just the opposite, knowing their dark secrets and still loving them is actually part of their healing. It what makes these people fall in love with Jesus and become loyal to him. And so this is part of the reason why it's so important that you are known and loved. This is why this is such a powerful force. It's a force in the church, and it's a force that our watching community will recognize when they see it. It stands as a compelling witness to what the church can be and ought to be. And then there's this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Listen, everybody, if there was a single dynamic which would make this church a force greater than it is in our community, uh, it's never going to be our building as nice and great as all of this is. It's not going to be our budget. It's not going to be the preaching. It's not going to be the music or the kids' ministry or the weekly programming for you, whatever. It's going to be when our church is recognized as being a collection of humble servants who look out for each other and who look out for the community. We have a lot of name tags around here that our leaders wear. They got little lanyards and name tags. And across the top, a lot of them say, here to serve. That's the attitude that should prevail here. In other words, what can I do for you? How can I help? What do you need? How can I come alongside? That should just drip from all of us. It's a kind of prevailing attitude that builds a church and builds impact in a community. And much of this definitely happens in the cracks and corners of the community, it happens where we serve each other spontaneously and organically, but this is also how we function practically. Uh, We teach and believe in the idea of spiritual gifts around here, divine capacities, talents, and abilities given to us by our God for use in the body of Christ, in the church. And so sometimes, often even, we live out our sense of calling as a part of a ministry team, a serving team. Now listen, this is the time of year when a lot of our teams are are headed into summer break. Not all. There's still lots of places where you can step in and, and find your place now. But I hope for sure by the time fall rolls around that all of you have a sense for how you're contributing a as part of a team to the ministry that we have here together. This is part of what it means to be in the family. One last one, and I'll let you go. One final one another from Paul, and this one as well is from uh, Paul from his second letter to the Corinthian church. This is where he says, greet one another 
with a holy kiss. You like that one? Thought some of you would like that one. Some of you like it more than others. Anyway, um, let me tell you what this idea means uh, practically in, in our day. It means more than just say hi. That's a great kind of modern interpretation. The vision is for genuine relationships where affection and attachment is the reality. And it's a call for connection in a way that is culturally appropriate. So in 2023, we don't necessarily kiss each other, but we do this through notes and cards and calls and emails and texts. And often it's through just words of affirmation and expression. And sometimes when permission is given, we express it physically through handshakes and hugs and the like. So listen, you are designed for this. You are created for this. You are made to do life in deep community. You are not meant to do life in isolation. And so Jesus set in motion a movement, a community called the church. It's something you need and others need what you have to offer. And so if you don't have a small circle where you can belong, I hope you will consider for sure by the time fall rolls around. Again, either starting a group or joining a group. We have a point person in James Choi, uh, James, Pastor James, and Tim Zaff, another guy from our staff. They are uniquely positioned to help you, coach you, help you navigate the options, help you start something. There's lots of opportunities coming. There's still new opportunities, even in the summertime. Got some new initiatives that you can jump into and try some things even in the summer. Check out our website, send a note to James, or reach out to Tim and let them help you out. Because listen, with billions of people in the world, somebody should have come up with a system where nobody has to be lonely. And somebody has. His name is Jesus. And the cost was a cross. And the place that was birthed is called the church. And the secret sauce that's all over it is love and one anotherness. And I hope you'll be part of it. Let me pray for you. Why don't you stand with me if you're able? And let me pray you on your way. So Heavenly Father, um, help all of us with our stubborn independent streaks. It is a bit of a North American trait to stand on our own two feet. Help us when we exhibit independence that's not what we're designed for. Help us to own without reservation and pride that we are not created to carry our burdens alone. And I pray that you really would pour out on this place this local expression of your church the grace to do what we cannot do on our own. Make us, make this group, all of us, those online, those in this room, a family, your family, real brothers and sisters, I mean that. Help us become and help us play an engaged part of what is almost always the starting point for anybody, that sense of belonging. Make that true of us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks everybody for being here this morning. Be safe. God bless you as you go.